This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Thursday, June the 13th. I'm your host, D.A., and the Stanley Cup has been awarded to St. Louis, the long-suffering fan base of the St. Louis Blues, after 50 years, finally touches the Cup. A huge victory on road ice last night, where young Jordan Biddington was phenomenal between the pipes, and the Blues touch the chalice that they have never touched before. So let's go to the streets, the streets of St. Louis, where Blues fans were celebrating last night. Here's KMOX in St. Louis with Mike Claiborne and Ryan Recker. I am on Market Street at Tucker. Got the beautiful vista of the Gateway Arch. Cars as far as you can see in the directions around. I see a guy waving a Blues flag. Obviously, the Let's Go Blues honks going on. People are hanging out of the windows of their cars, opening their sunroofs. Some Blues fans coming by. How are you guys feeling? Awesome! Yeah! Let's go Blues, baby! Were you guys inside Enterprise? Inside Enterprise, absolutely. What was that like? It had to have been almost like they were there, like a home game. It was electric. Oh, my gosh. I can't it wait for him to so come back. so much louder than a regular game. Can't wait. <laughs> let's go. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, let's go, bro. We can't wait for the parade. Yeah. All right, so it seems like there's already a parade out here right oh, yeah. now. This is Market Street. We assume the parade's going to be here. It's already that kind of atmosphere, though. Oh, Listen to the honks, the people going by, hanging out of their cars. It hasn't stopped. We've been down in front of Enterprise, and the people are going crazy. So. How are you guys feeling? How, how big of a moment is this for you? Unbelievable. We've been waiting all year. Coming from the very bottom to the very top. Jordan Bennington is the man. Jordan Bennington is the man. Jordan Bennington or Ryan O'Reilly? Who is the big star? In my book, Jordan Bennington. He's been there. When he came in, we was last. Where are we at now? We're on top. We're first. Ryan O'Reilly is awesome, but Bennington got us there. So Ryan O'Reilly for the playoffs. Bennington getting us here. All right, thanks, guys. Enjoy the celebration. Be safe. How's it going out here? It is amazing. I've waited my whole life for this, and I'm only 17. My dad and my grandma have been waiting for this their entire lives, and I just can't believe that this is what's happening, and this is how the city responds. It's so amazing. It's almost, you don't even have to be here to hear the noise. I'm sure on the radio, the horns honking and the people yelling, but how do you describe what it's like to to actually be? There's the arch right there. You just came from Enterprise Center. It's just, it's amazing, bro. I never thought it'd actually happen. I was watching it at home on TV, and it actually happened, you know, and I saw Colton Pareko lift the cup, and that's when it hit me. I thought I was watching NHL, you know? And here I am celebrating the Blues' first Stanley Cup victory with my friends and my family, and it's just such a blessing. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Enjoy it. And I'm going to run out here into Market Street. There's a red light. 
Somebody's hanging out of the roof of their car, waving a rally towel. How are you feeling? Good. Is this, how, how excited are you about this? Very excited. All right, thanks, enjoy it. There's somebody else going by as they honk their horn. It's an incredible celebration out here. Again, the vista with the arch just makes it all the more poignant. Send it back to the studio and Mike and Ryan. Thanks, Michael Calhoun. You know, I don't know about you, uh, Michael Claiborne here. You ever honk your horn so much it sounds like it's going to go through puberty at the end? Like it just wears itself down? There's going to be horns worn down all across St. You know, tomorrow. And, and people don't normally use horns very often. I know. And, you know, some cities, I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii, where if you blow your horn there, they look at you like, are you nuts? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, That's but I think for a night like tonight... Um, you know, again, this is the first time for all of us, so, yeah, yeah go we're, for it. We're in these uh, sound booths, so we can't hear downtown, but if you were to walk outside all but three seconds, that's all it takes for you to hear the atmosphere well, of what's I'm going on. I'm just looking at all the red lights from brake lights from cars leaving oh, yeah. downtown, and it's just... Yeah. And, and, you know, here's the other thing. Because this this unfolds in June, you know, the only other time we've won, it was in October, mm. and weather isn't as good. Mm. Won the Super Bowl in January, weather's never very good. And now people are out. I mean, it's the summertime, and people are having a great time with it. And I just want everybody to be safe tonight and make sure you're around for the parade on Saturday. Oh, boy. Is it Saturday? Do we know? I believe it's going to be Saturday. Don't you just love it? Don't you just love a fan base that has been dying for a winner for so long that finally gets delivered the championship, finally validated for caring for so long, and the city of St. Louis has always been an underrated hockey town. And they finally have a winner, a true winner, and doing so in such impressive fashion. I mean, look, this was a Blues franchise that had the fewest amount of points in the league in January. A couple months into the season, they were the worst team in the NHL. And now, they're the champs. Just an amazing run. And on the flip side, they did it in Boston, the city of champions, where they are predestined to believe they're going to win all championships. I mean, the Bruins were going for the third title in the calendar year when it comes to the Boston fan bases. And yet, they fell short. And so, what do we have from Boston? We don't know how to react. We're not supposed to lose these games. The Bruins choked. Yes, the word choked used in a game seven. Here's Mutt and Callahan and Wiggy on WEEI in Boston. You look at this, this will go down as the ultimate choke job and you know and I would long, say the long... ultimate choke job, like the ultimate choke job. Like, yes. I, I, well, I have a different term for you. you tell need... me this is closer to it. The biggest no show in the championship era well, in a that championship a choke game. Job? I, I, I maybe maybe it's we're saying the exact same thing, but for the Patriots, I've all played close games in all their losses. Mm-hmm. They showed up. They might have been. They might have lost games in the Super Bowl, right? But they played close games. The Celtics led the Lakers at halftime. Right. Didn't get it done, but there were injuries on that team. Significant. Uh, but this the Red was a Sox close are unde- game. Red Sox are undefeated. This was, yeah. in their World Series. What? This, this was, was not, a close. It was a close game. Oh, shut, Wiggy, it was Wiggy, a close. Wiggy, Wiggy, Wiggy. Don't say. Don't say it, was it wasn't a close game. game. It, it wasn't was a not close game. The Bruins were no, dominant. It was not a close. The, game. That, that, that's what I'm period. saying. They, not even close. In the first half of this game, the Bruins were dominant. Right. They outshot twelve four and were the dominant everywhere except the scoreboard. But I, I would say the second yeah. period after the first period. You, didn't you all expect watching it? The Bruins were going to come out flying. The second twenty minutes, they're down two nothing. They get eleven shots on goal in the second period. Two of them. Two. 
inside 30 feet. Right. Two of 11 shots in a period where you're down 2 nothing at home. Stanley Cup on the I line. I thought you meant it wasn't that close is a no for the show. Bruins is what I thought you were saying, that it wasn't close. Because I felt like through this whole game, at the really the Bruins – we saw the first period throughout they the second great period. First period. They were the, be- they were the better team. They were all over them. The the the, they Blues, were not the, second the Blues had two goals on and what four three, sh- four. three or four two shots. Of the first four That's, shots they I, scored. I just scored. did the math. That's fifty percent save percentage. Carry the one. Is yeah, that you're good, right, Kenny. That's good, Jerry. It is it's good, good and, that, and that's good why Corsi. that's why I say it's the ultimate choke job. Well, see, see, ultimate choke job. You need a visual, an image, and I guess the lasting image of the 2019 Ooh. Stanley Cup Finals. It's not like a ball going through Buckner's leg. God bless his soul. Uh, may he rest in peace. Not like that. It's not like a guy you know dropping a pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Welker dropping a pass. It's. Marshan skating off the ice with how many seconds left? 14? Right. 14. Started with 14, yeah. yeah. 14 seconds saying, I need a break. I need a change. That is your lasting image from the series. It would have been, if they won, it would have been Krug. If it were, if we were going to blame the officials, it would have been the trip. <laughs> but it is, we're not blaming the officials. The Bruins didn't win. Krug was valiant in defeat, and as a number of Bruins were, but you're going to remember Marshan skating off looking for a change. And, and, and not only to to, to, to kind of, you know, throw salt on that wound as he obviously comes off, he comes off the X makes a bad change. Then Tuker in that position, he got to make that save. I mean, that's the only save. He gave up four goals, obviously. Um, that's the only save I'd put on him, and it's right. not. That's well, not, I don't necessarily. That's not like a bouncing puck with Bennington. That's not a total. No, no, no. He came out too far. He no, got too he's aggressive. Gotta, he's there. Gotta he got to know. Beat. He's got to know, right? He's got to know. I wouldn't even classify he's, it as you got to make a save. No, no, no. But he's got to know when. You got to call a softy. He's got to know when Petrangelo's coming down that side. He can only go one way, forehand or backhand. He saw McAvoy coming out of the corner, so he was taking away the forehand. All I'm saying is, in that position, you looked at Bennington on the other side of the ice. Was making saves all over the place. Right, he was amazing. Played better, yeah. All I'm saying is that Tuka's, you know, he's got to make that save. Man, choked is a strong word to use for a franchise that pushed to a game number seven of the Stanley Cup final. That's what that town, though, is right now, conditioned to believe they're supposed to win at all costs with every sport at all times and not knowing how to handle a loss. Hey, man, sorry, sometimes you don't win it, and that doesn't mean it's a choke job. Bennington was that good last night, and the Bruins just needed one. One goal to open up the dam and to switch all the momentum, but they could not do so. Now, was Tuka Rask great? He was not. But at the end of the day, that was about, to me, Bennington between the pipes and great in net for the Blues more than it was a choke by the Boston Bruins in the game number seven. The NBA Finals could crown his champion tonight. Game number six at Oracle Arena in Oakland, where the Toronto Raptors have a three games to two lead. But this series has had it all. It's had Kawhi going crazy. It's had the Raptors winning two on the road. It's had the subplot of will Kevin Durant play or not. It had the subplot of Kevin Durant getting injured. It's had the subplot of Clay Thompson and Kevon Looney being injured. It's had the subplot of Drake versus the world and... Draymond Green in game number one, it's had it all. Mike Breen has called a lot of these games for ABC and ESPN. Was this the weirdest series that he's ever called? Here he was with Damon Bruce on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. That game the other night was, 
you know, we've done game sevens, we've all done big games, but that was one of the most memorable nights I think I've ever had in, in uh, I think I'm doing this like 28 years now. So you talk about a memorable night, and, and just in general, this series, Mike, has been, I think memorable might be the best word, but another one that jumps to mind is weird. That it, it doesn't seem to have developed a consistent narrative at all. The injuries have thrown it into upheaval. Is this about the weirdest final series you've been on the call for? Yes. I mean, uh, so many bizarre things happening uh, that have nothing to do with basketball, uh, storylines that are just so compelling. And then when you take into account, um, you know, what this this championship for either team, what it means for them going forward with star players, it's just it has so many different storylines that uh, that I find riveting. Um, to me, it's been one of the more interesting finals because there's so many different things to talk about night in and night out. You know, when I prepare and when and the crew prepares with Jeff and Mark and our production team, you know, we have certain things we want to get in. Half the time you can't get them in because all these unusual, uh, unique things are happening in the series that, that uh, you don't have time to get everything in. What is your sense of the way game sixes tend to play out? I'm throwing this this series out because, as we all said, it's just madness on shoes. But in general, what do you look for when you're prepping out a game six? Because clearly one team's in position to close. The other one is a surprise win away from seven. How do you, how do you sort of frame that in general? And if you can do it, can you compare what you would have to do for tomorrow's game with any of the other game sixes you've had? Well, it, it, it obviously it all depends on on the the makeup of the teams that are playing. You know, if it's different uh, for a team that has been there uh, in terms of what you would look for than for a team that hasn't been. And even though Toronto hasn't been, it's their first finals. They have a couple of key players who have won championships, so that's a big part of it as well. Um, you know, in the playoffs, what I find is the team that that uh, loses the previous game usually comes out with more desperation. Um, and so you know Toronto is going to come out with desperation. They are they are hurting from what happened. They, that's a game that, that, that they had, and they weren't, weren't able to close it out, not only a game, but a possible championship. So they're going to be ornery. Uh, they've moved past it, but they're, they're going to come out with desperation. The thing is, what I'm going to look for is, yeah, they're desperation, but they still know they have that, that home game seven in their back pocket. So how do they start the game? Uh, we've seen Golden State start each of the last two games with that desperation and come out like gangbusters. Um, so just little different things like that. But I think at this point, the series has been so unpredictable. I mean, the, the home team's one and four. It just you, you fight all season long to get home court advantage, and the road team keeps winning in the NBA Finals. So it's it really is one of the more unpredictable series from my standpoint. Well, that's saying something that this is the weirdest series that Breen has ever called, but I can see why. But let's face it, this series has been bizarre and unpredictable, and the fact is that now somehow the Raptors have become the favorite to win because Vegas thinks they're going to close this thing out in either six or seven after coming into the series where the Warriors were the heavy favorite and assuming KD was going to come back. The whole thing is flipped. So, yeah, it says something that Mike Breen calls it the weirdest series he's ever called, but it makes a lot of sense because I think that it is.
In football, the Houston Texans fired their GM over the weekend, which is odd timing considering it's June. But perhaps that's because they see an opening with Nick Casario in the front office of the New England Patriots. So here's longtime NFL insider and Texans reporter John McClain in Houston, who joined Mad Radio and Sports Radio 610 there, saying that Bill Belichick is going to hold on tight and possibly argue tampering because he can't afford to lose another member of his front office. Belichick needs him more than ever because he's lost a lot of coaches to Miami. Other people in the front office, he's got three that he relies heavily on. Uh, Casario, Monty uh, Osenford, who's the director of college scouting, and Ziegler, I can't remember Ziegler's first name. But uh, because of that, and Belichick's going to be coaching the defense, uh, he really needs Casario, who's also heavily involved in coaching. And uh, as a former quarterback, Josh McDaniels was his receiver at John Carroll, which has always made people think, Casario would replace Belichick and be and have final authority, and his good friend McDaniel's, who recommended him to the organization in two thousand one, would be the head coach. And uh, so their Texans have made that offer, and I wrote the rule. And based on the rule, Casario can't be a high level employee. They could be trying to get him designated as that, but that guy's got to have authority, and they, he doesn't. Now maybe. Wouldn't it be something if they changed his deal, made him GM, and gave him in writing right. final say on personnel? And that's what I wonder. Like, is that is that even possible? Can they convince Goodell that no Casario has final say over Belichick? I don't think so. But Goodell owes him a couple, and uh, and and also they owes him a couple. They've won six Super Bowls. What do you yeah. mean he owes they them a couple? Tampering. They them. could demand compensation, which of course they will if they can't keep him. And uh, he could end up in Goodell's lap. And Goodell, uh, you remember Paul Tagliabue gave the Jets a number one pick because uh, they said that the Jets tampered. Uh, the, the Patriots. Patriots tampered with with him while he was with the Jets. I think it was a good trade for the Jets. And after, yeah, I believe it was. And after the that Belichick. one day, yeah. Yeah. one day as head coach when he resigned, <laughs> and uh, it cost him a number one pick. And uh, but I, they they say that. that People I talked to up there said he, that they will not let him go without a fight. They're digging in. It's the Patriot way. And as I wrote, the only good thing is Brady can't be involved. Okay, here's the part I'm struggling with. Wait, Brady can't be involved? Because he's not going to beat them on the field or whatever? No, he can't be involved in the settling his Casario dispute. Okay, the, fair, the fair enough. The battle between the Patriots okay. and the Texans. Uh, okay, either way. Um, okay. How much of the Texans firing Brian Gain had to do with Nick Casario? Because it seems to me, John McClain, that if they don't get Nick Casario, then the organization looks bad. Well, a lot of people say that. They they told me at the time if they didn't get him, they would expand their search. And uh, But it's a weird time because general managers and personnel directors are all going on vacation. Now, I've had four former general managers and two personnel directors contact me about the job and say, is it legitimate? Is O'Brien going to have control? I said, you need to wait and see what happens with Casario. And if they don't get him and he ends up staying there, as Josh McDaniels did, then I would throw my hat in the ring. So uh, let me say, did, did, did any of those did any of those phone calls sound something like this? Go ahead and say hello, John. You just act like you're answering the phone. Hello. 
Hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. It's Charlie Cassidy here. Uh, John, how's, how's things going down there in Houston? Well, thanks, but Mike McCagnin's already been here, Charlie. We appreciate it. Hey, 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 <laughs> Johnny, hey, you remember that time back in 2006 when I drafted Owen Daniels and Mario Williams? Everybody said I was kooky. Uh, how, how'd that all work out for everybody down there? Is there, uh, what's, uh, so what's, uh, what's the word on these, uh, on this, on these openings down there? They might get casually to recommend McCagnin like he did to the Jets. Oh my God. Oh my God! Well, that's not that's not happening. I'd rather have the combination of Brian Gain and Rick Smith running the Texans than bring McCagney back here. Well, I think that's really interesting because the Patriots have lost a lot of brain power over a very long amount of time. I mean, Romeo Crennel plucked Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels the first time. Go down the list, Eric Mangini. They have lost plenty of assistant coaches and coaches to other organizations, and yet here is Bill. Now he can't afford to lose a guy. Now he's going to fight for a guy. That's really interesting. So I would say, wow, that's a turn of events that we didn't see coming, that suddenly maybe the Patriots and Bill Belichick feel like they're a little bit vulnerable in the front office, and that would be a good thing for the rest of the NFL because as you heard Seth Payne say there, 0-1, They've won six Super Bowls. They've won six Super Bowls. What do you mean he owes them a couple? Recently, we've been talking about the possibility of an 18-game schedule in the NFL. And we kind of know that Roger Goodell wants it. He's talked openly about it. We know the owners want it because it means more money in their pockets. They can sell regular season games far easier than they can get any money out of preseason games. But will the players ever acquiesce? I mean, that's another two games on their body. Well, Phil Sims played for a decade and a half in the NFL and now is an NFL analyst for CBS, and he tends to think it's inevitable. Why? Well, let's hear his reasoning as he joins Bobby Hebert, former Saints quarterback on WWL Sports Talk in New Orleans. Why wouldn't we embrace more meaningful games instead of the preseason? Well, it's really interesting. There's a lot to that, guys. And, you know, first off, I made some comments, and people kind of got crazy about it and 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 you know if you listen to all my comments you would hear other things too first off as i went around the league i had a couple owners berate me and you know not really but kept going why are you so against us and everything because they were one of the 18 games and i was speaking out against it at the time and you know i played 15 years in the league so i understand the punishment that goes with it and you know it was a different time but who cares it, it was different um but you know, now what do I do? Do I worry about my ex-teammates and their health and all that? you dang right I do. And I help many of them out. And I'm there. They call me if something's wrong. By gosh, I'll do everything in my power to help them out. And we have stayed that way, all of us. Because, you know, it was a rough era. And right. i got a lot of teammates that are really beat up. But, you know, listen, when I talk about it, when I say that now, I, do, I say it in this respect. It's just... When it comes up, the collecting bargain agreement, the owners want it so bad, they want more games, TV, I'm in TV, they want more games because the NFL keeps networks alive. It's it's so big to everybody, and that's why the NFL, they're looking, hey, if they can find another network somewhere, they're going to sell them some games too. So, But you say $16 million and now they'll get eight. No, what would happen? It's going to give the players such a great bargaining chip. 
and that they won't get sixteen million for sixteen games and eight. They'll get twenty two million for that extra couple games because everybody's gonna get so much more money and it's gonna be the players are gonna have power where they can gain more control of the money. And you know, so I, I think that's and, and here's the other thing too. More jobs. I think Phil, the I think the somebody right? down in New Orleans, the punter, said some negative things about me. I don't care. That's fine. You know, he did, it, it's it's cool. But the the other big thing is if you just let every player in the NFL vote on that, I just think they would vote yes because the money is really heavily loaded to the top end of the roster, and. Man, when I came in the league, I made sixty thousand as a first round draft pick my rookie year. And Whoa. if you'd have told all the guys on the team we could play two more games, they'd go, "Let's play." And of course, it's all changed the money, but still, even though the minimum has gone up and all that, there are a lot of players in that league that would love two more paychecks, especially if Hell those yeah. paychecks are bigger. So that's Hell just yeah. that's a little uh, bit uh, of my uh, thought now, where it's changed over the years. That's where I kind of feel like. It's such a big, important thing. Sooner or later, it, it, I think it's going to probably change or they'll come up with more playoff games, something to give yes. the networks more NFL football. If the money is right, the players will talk. If the money is right, the players will listen. And if the money is right, the players will probably say, sure. Because at the end of the day, aside from the top-tier guys like the quarterbacks that are making so much money, they don't have to worry about extra game checks there's so many guys on that roster that do need the extra game checks or want the extra game checks or could use extra game checks for their retirement and whatnot. And I could understand how there's probably 75% of a roster that would want the extra money, extra influx, knowing that their that their salary goes up. I mean, it's never fun if the boss tells you, okay, you got to work two more weekends than you normally do. We're going to cut your vacation down. But if he also says, but we're going to give you a couple more million dollars a year, then suddenly you start listening to it. And Phil Sims would know pretty well what that constituency, what those players and the players' union would be up for. Finally, we've got championships, right? Last night, the St. Louis Blues win one. Perhaps tonight, the Toronto Raptors win one. It's championship playoff season. So there's a lot of celebrating and a lot of wondering when my team is going to do it. So let's ask this question. If you could go back in time and talk to your 10-year-old self and give that young version of you some sage advice as a veteran of the sports scene watching championships and other teams win championships, what would you tell your 10-year-old self? Here's Jamie and Stoney on 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit. There's a lot of people ages 20 and under or even 25 and under who are now understanding what it's like to be a suffering fan. Because if, you know, like my son, for example, when he was born, the Pistons, well, the Pistons were okay, but the Pistons haven't really been good during his lifetime, but the Tigers were really good. Red Wings have won championships and the Lions are the Lions. If you could give a piece, one piece of advice to the 10 year old version of you as a sports fan. Okay. Cause we always talk about that's in life, you know, like, Oh, you know, buy stock, Get life insurance, you know. But for the sports fan, if you could give the 10-year-old version of yourself advice as a sports fan to really enjoy and, and, and like, I don't know, flourish as a sports fan, what would it be? And, and can we just get it out of the way? 
Don't be a Lions fan. Okay, ha, ha, ha. I mean, that, that thing is going to come across a ticket text a thousand times. The, the realistic, the parental, you know, thing that you would tell your kid is, because my, my mother used to say this to me all the time when I'd get so wrapped up. She goes, why do you care? The Flyers don't care about you. So just, you know, relax, you know. And oh, re- I disagree. Oh. I totally disagree. Well, I mean. Can't care like crazy. No, I'm, I'm talking about just, no, real care, but realize that, you know. They, they don't give a crap about you. Oh, Stoney, I, I just, I completely disagree. I, I, I think I, I love passion. Oh, you I, can still be very passionate. See, my two biggest pieces of advice, and one of these I followed, and one of these I didn't follow. Okay, my first piece of advice is root for the home teams. Okay, yes. don't be one of these these uh, cherry pickers I, who goes around and adopts teams here and there or whatever. Because when your team wins, and they will win. Yes. Lines. It's going to be so much more special for you to to go through it with agree. your friends, your family, your community, whatever. You know, it's root for your home team. Stick with your home teams. Don't be, you know, look, we all have reasons for why we like certain teams. And, and, it, and some have crazy reasons, whatever. Stick with your home teams. And the number two is if you ever have a chance to go, go. Don't ever turn down a game. Don't ever turn down a ticket. Don't ever turn down a road trip with buddies. Go. Because you never know what you might see. You might be at that game where that happens. And I think the Blues situation this year, or like you mentioned, you know, the Cubs, the Capitals, all these teams that have broken streaks, is just proof that you never know where you... I mean, maybe you're a Blues fan, and you have tickets to go to the game, and like, no, they suck. I'm, I'm not going to... Oh, that was the first of the 11-game winning streak, which turned the entire season yeah. around. And you'll tell that story to your friends and your kids for 30 years. So those are my two pieces of advice to 10-year-old me, if you're listening. I'm going to go with one that Stoney had in his response last night in his email. I, defense wins. And understand that mm-hmm. at a young age. Because I didn't. I always got caught up in the hype and offenses and and things like that. And like I didn't admire when I was younger. Like the 49ers had a really good defense, and I really had no clue other than that they had Ronnie Lott. Right. But to to understand that it, it, everything comes back to the middle all the time in sports, and don't get lost in an offensive hype. And fundamentals matter. Turnover battle, like in football, matters. Be able to play defense. It's just as important as, as the offense. I absolutely like the advice of not going bandwagon or jumping into teams that are winning in some other city, making sure you keep it local, like buy local, eat local, grow local, shop local, root local, because rooting local puts you in the middle of your city when things really get good instead of watching it from afar. But I think I would also tell my 10-year-old self, don't get so wrapped up in the players, the individuals, because those will come and go. Get into the teams, not the players, because when you're 10 years old and you love a certain player, then that certain player ends up traded or leaves via free agency or gets into criminal stuff and gets suspended or what have you. Or you find out in today's day and age, there's so much more bad news about players than ever before. You're going to be heartbroken and it's going to be tough to get over it. You know what? Detach from the players. Love the love the laundry, essentially. And it'll make your life so much easier. That'll do it. The best of your sports talk for Thursday, June the 13th. Perhaps tomorrow we'll have an NBA champion. We'll see you then, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.